0: Ruth Bader Ginsburg will be late to rest this week at Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C., and she is the subject of this week's Not in the Mood podcast. I am your host, Daryl Moody. We're going to talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's impact on the high court and society at large. Uh, I brought a guest in this week. We're going to talk to University of Central Florida political science professor, Uh, Aubrey Jewett, Dr. Aubrey Jewett, who is well-known in political circles as being an expert on this sort of thing. So I wanted to talk to him not only about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her impact on America, but also the fight on Capitol Hill to fill her seat. And this is why I chose this as a topic this week. Because four years ago, when Justice Antonin Scalia died, leaving his seat on the court open, there was a huge fight that took more than a year to play out. And you had Republicans in control of the U.S. Senate at that time crying, let the people weigh in. Let's get this election in 2016 over and let the president that is elected choose the next Supreme Court justice. In that case, you had an administration that was wrapping up uh, its eight years. You had the Obama administration kind of finishing out its second term in office. And basically, we're going to have a new president, whether it's a Republican or Democrat. So at the time, the Republicans held up the process and said the American people must have a say in who is appointed to be the next Supreme Court justice. So this legal battle played out over a course of 422 days. We went more than a year with an eight-member U.S. Supreme Court. A big deal. A lot of important decisions could have been made in that year, but we all had to wait for someone to be elected to appoint a new justice. So here we are four years later, and we get the news of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing, shocked some people. More people weren't shocked by it. She's been battling with cancer. So now we've got this fight to fill the Supreme Court seat shaping up. And now the Republicans four years later have done a complete 180. And now with a little more than a month ahead of the election, they've got to fill that seat now. And so I asked Dr. Jewett, is that okay? And his take was kind of like, well, it's not necessarily wrong or right. Take it however you want. But in this highly politicized world we live in now, where everything is so divisive, you've got both political parties going after the undecided voters in the middle the the moderates the independents folks who don't don't necessarily lean far right or left and and usually uh, are the ones that decide general elections like we've got one coming up in here in 2020 and I just don't think you're going to appeal to those folks when you contradict yourselves four years later in such a dramatic fashion and it's the I mean you know when you, you when you listen to the rhetoric coming out of Republicans in the Senate today, Versus the rhetoric that was coming from the Democrats in the Senate four years ago. It's, I mean, it's, the roles have been completely reversed. And I get it. Politicians are hypocrites. They do this stuff all the time. But I'm telling you, in a world when we're trying to attract people in the middle, this kind of thing will not sit well with them. But I'm not the expert. Let's talk to Dr. Aubrey Jewett from UCF, political science professor. And I started off by asking him about. RBG's impact on the court and American society.
1: Ruth Bader Ginsburg had an enormous impact on the court and and on the public. She was one of the first women on the court, and she was a trailblazer, a a pathbreaker throughout her career, both as a law professor and as a federal judge, and then ultimately as a Supreme Court judge. She worked very diligently in her earlier career for equal rights for women. And when she got on the court as a Supreme Court justice, she was known for always standing up for the rights of minorities and women and people who had been traditionally excluded from American society. And even when she was in the minority on the court, which often happened over the last decade or so when there was a more conservative majority on there, people would read her minority opinions. And she would also, in some cases, be able to make points that would later be incorporated by the courts, or in some cases, even be incorporated by the majority, so bottom line is she had an outsized impact on the courts and on the public. you know it was interesting, certainly usually you don't say Supreme Court justice and rock star in the same sentence, but she really particularly later in life became a political rock star and and had a nickname, Notorious RBG, you know, with a a lot of uh, T-shirts and Internet memes and all kinds of things like that out there. And, of course, there was a movie made about her life because it was very inspirational. So, yeah, she just had a huge impact on American politics, on American culture, and certainly on the Supreme Court. And, you know, the last thing I would add about her, just in a general sense, is although she certainly was a liberal jurist, she was very big on reaching across the aisle. And as she always said, you know, if you're trying to get people to understand your point of view and agree with it, then, you know, you've got to try to convince them. So she would write really compelling arguments. And the other thing I think that was really interesting and that a lot of people loved about her was that even though, she politically was liberal. She had a great friendship with one of the most conservative justices on the court, anton Scalia. They had a a really noteworthy friendship for more than twenty twenty five years and she basically and he also showed that you could politically be very far apart but still be good friends and actually they said even even in the politics and on the on the cases. That they would, uh, even if they would disagree on the outcome of a case, they would both strengthen each other's writing and their logic because, you know, they would give criticism, but it wouldn't be just nasty criticism. It would be constructive criticism. So I think that, you know, those are a number of the reasons why people really, uh, really loved or liked uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg.
0: So let's talk about the impact, whether she wanted to or not, whether the impact her passing is going to have on the upcoming presidential election. Uh, You know, in 2016, you had the Republicans at the time who wanted the uh, current or the the, at that time administration to hold off on appointing a successor after Scalia died. And now we find ourselves in the same situation and the Republicans have a different position. Talk to me about that.
1: Well, I think it shows that in politics, particularly in Washington, D.C., you know, the party in power whoever happens to have the political power is going to try to do what they want and they'll come up with a justification for it. And I say that about conservative Republicans when they've been in charge, but also about liberal Democrats when they've been in charge. Both sides are known to bend the rules to their liking and then, you know, use the rationale, whatever seems to make sense. But the bottom line is, if you can if you can do it and it's what you want to try to accomplish, then then you do it. So in the case of naming Supreme Court justices, when Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate had the opportunity to delay when Barack Obama was trying to name a judge, a justice to re- replace Anton Scalia, they said, nope, they didn't want to do it because they wanted to wait until – the presidential election. And that way that they could indirectly, of course, let the American public have a say in who got to be named to the court, because if they wanted a a more liberal jurist, they would elect a Democrat, Hillary Clinton. And if they wanted a more conservative jurist, they would elect Donald Trump, you know, the Republican. Well, of course, this time around, uh, we've even got less time before the election, but they're staying. uh, McConnell has said that they will if Trump names a justice, which he almost certainly will, that the Senate will vote on it. And you know, he said now that he what he meant before when he said they shouldn't vote on it ahead of time was when you, you when the Senate was controlled by one party and and the presidency was controlled by another, you wouldn't vote on it. But when both are controlled by the same party, you know, it would be okay. So you know, again, bottom line to me, it just the the people who are in power. If under the rules they can accomplish what they want, then then that's what they do. And, you know, and, and one one level, there's nothing wrong with that. I might add, of course, that from the Democratic perspective, if the Republicans push a nominee through now, then they would feel like, hey, the rules allow us to increase the size of the Supreme Court so that we could then name some additional justices. This was tried back in the 1930s when Franklin Roosevelt Was in office. They at the time it was called the court packing scheme, but I'm sure Democrats in this case would feel like it was completely justified, because Republicans they feel have, you know, have engaged in shenanigans for the last two Supreme Court uh, nominees. So this would be perfectly legal under U.S. Constitution and law as well. So we'll we'll have to. It's going to be interesting, and it certainly has thrown the the presidential race into some turmoil. It was in enough turmoil as it was, but it's even, it's even more now.
0: Well, put your wizard's hat on for me and, and prognosticate how you think this is going to impact the race.
1: Well, I, you know, of course we don't know a hundred percent exactly what's going to happen yet in terms of the Senate. And it seems almost certain that president Trump is going to name uh, his nominee very shortly. You know, he's had a a long list of people he said that he would nominate if there was an opening. And so I'm sure it will not take them long to get that person nominated. So then it's really just a matter of what the Senate decides to do. Mitch McConnell has said that he would have, you know, he would the Senate would vote on President Trump's nominee, but he didn't give a timeline yet. So would he vote on it before the election in November? Or would he do it in that lame duck period after the election is over, but before all the new members are sworn in? So that's why it's a little hard to tell what exact impact it will have for the Republicans, though, and Trump supporters. It may be a way to fire up the base even more to say, look at the stakes that are involved here. But, you know, you can use that same argument, though, on the Democratic side, you know, supporters of Biden, particularly the more progressive wing of the party. That hasn't been as thrilled with Joe Biden, quite frankly, but maybe if they see the stark difference between potential Supreme Court justices, you know, one more conservative, one more liberal, they would turn out, you know, in large numbers uh, for Biden. And uh, again, it kind of depends on what the Senate does and when they when they do it. If the Senate votes. Before the election and approves the Supreme Court justice, one would imagine that Democrats would be really mobilized and really motivated, and particularly the, the progressive wing. For that reason, I think most likely. Uh, Senate Leader McConnell will probably say, yeah, we'll vote on this, but we're going to do it after the election <laughs> happens, not before. So,
0: Well, and I was going to say, I-, I saw on CBS Face the Nation on Sunday, the average time I think they said that it takes to get a Supreme Court nominee confirmed in the Senate is about 70 days. And here we are 40 some odd days out from the general election. Is there even enough time to get it done?
1: Yeah, there is. You know, the average is 70, but certainly we have had some that have come in in less. I might add I read an interesting story just uh, just yesterday myself that pointed out that the nomination and confirmation of Ruth Bader Ginsburg occurred in less time than we have between the vacancy and the election. So it occurred in like 40 some days. So even her nomination and confirmation actually took place in a time frame that would be within between now and the election. So, yeah, there is definitely time to do it particularly since the president has said that, well, particularly since President Trump has developed a list for quite some time, and so now it's just a matter of deciding which of those people on the list he's going to nominate. The quicker the nomination is done, then the quicker the Senate can get to work on its uh, business of investigating and holding hearings and that sort of thing.
0: Okay, now you can can put your political science professor hat back on and answer this question for me. So in the event that... They don't get someone nominated and confirmed by the time the election is held. Uh, and we know that if there's a tie and it's contested and we can't, you know, we can't get the votes counted properly, it goes to the Supreme Court in the event that that seat has not been filled and we have, you know, a 4-4 tie. If, the, if it comes to that and the Supreme Court is forced to, to decide the election, how does that play out? Well, <laughs>
1: yeah, that's that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, boy, I, and, I, I and don't not, know. And not entirely out of the realm
0: of possibility,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I would have to, uh, yeah, I'd have to think a little bit more on that one. I, you know, I, that's that's a little deep, right? Right off the top of my head, I don't know. Um, um, you know, it would depend on exactly what the case was you know like if it was a case well let's just t- let's say have have a flashback to the year 2000 you know there the the US Supreme Court ultimately r- ruled that the recount that Florida was engaged in was unconstitutional and they stopped the recount and when they did that then the ballots were then counted and you know under the existing rules and George W Bush ended up winning by 537 If they hadn't made that ruling, then presumably uh, a recount would have continued a little bit longer. And then, you know, we don't who knows who who would have won. There's different scenarios. So um, in your scenario, the court, if the court was deadlocked four to four on a question before it.
0: Yeah. What happens?
1: Well, again, it would depend on what what the legal question was. I mean, if it was a particular question about a recount, then. If the Supreme Court deadlock, then presumably uh, if a federal court underneath had made a ruling first, then whatever ruling the initial federal court made would be in effect because the Supreme Court would not have overturned it. So in that scenario, you know, whatever the lower federal court had already decided would, you know, that's what would be in effect legally, because if the the court deadlocked four to four. If the mm-hmm. Supreme Court deadlocked, that would mean they didn't overturn the lower court's decision.
0: Oh boy, well, let's hope it doesn't come to that.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> there you go. And I, I was just going to say, you know, the other thing is, if if um, somehow we ended up in an electoral college uh, tie because of all that, then the procedures under the Constitution are that it goes to a vote of the House of Representatives to decide who would be president and each state gets one vote and so the delegations the congressional delegations of each state have to come together and they vote and then the majority wins and under the current um, under the current you know party breakdown the Republicans have a small edge in other words in, in states in other words more states have a Republican majority in their delegation. So if it if it came to some sort of a deadlock in the Electoral College based on numbers or legal battles or whatever, then it actually would go to the House of Representatives to vote in each state, getting one vote. And at, at, under what I presume that would favor Republicans right now and Donald Trump, just because of the way the delegations are laid out. So
0: I feel like I need a drink after that scenario. <laughs>
1: We'll see. Well, you know, even if something went to the, of course, you never know, because John, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the chief justice of the Supreme Court has been a real surprise in some votes lately, right? As we know, going back to the Obamacare vote, you know, upholding the constitutionality of it. But uh, John Roberts has, has been full of surprises. But with the passing of Ginsburg, one would think that there would be a five to three majority for, you know, the conservatives. But yeah as you you know as your question suggests it's not out of the possibility that 4-4 four, four votes could happen especially with Roberts having wow. thrown in with the with the more progressive wing of the of the court on some on some interesting occasions so
0: and this is still 2020 and anything's possible
1: well there, that is true as well for sure yeah absolutely
0: all right, kids, you heard to Make sure your seat backs and tray tables are secured and in the upright position. Also, fasten your seat belts because the ride to the November 3rd presidential election is about to get bumpy.